Got it. We're live. We are live. live. We are live. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Darren Mitchell here and another very special guest all the way from this time, the UK. And we're only nine hours behind uh, Australia. Dr. Philip Squire, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Uh, Darren, it's very kind of you to invite me. Uh, Are we allowed to talk about cricket? And I know you said that, um, you know, this conversation could go in different directions, but we had the most fantastic cricket series. And I know you've returned uh, the urn, uh, but it was such great fun. It was an Uh, absolutely cracking series. And the only thing that I was really annoyed at, um, I couldn't get the cricket over here on the streaming services that I normally get most sport because the free-to-air, I think Channel 7 over here, had the exclusive rights so you can only watch it okay. on freeware TV. And I love watching sport now with no advertisements. And okay. it was, yes, it, I agree with you. It was a phenomenal series. Okay. Um, it was. Uh, and I think for the most part, played in the right spirit, albeit a yeah, couple of exceptions. Apart, apart from the Lord's incident, which uh, which I apologize for. <laughs> nah, but, but, I, but I love it when the, um, let's just say the old in- enemies come together because it always... Yeah means there's going to be some fireworks. And certainly when you've got somebody like Ben Stokes, that yeah. is such an attacking captain. And I reckon just a phenomenal person to to watch and to to look at his tactics. He is. It was I a mean, brilliant, brilliant series. What, what and this, I guess we could connect this to leadership as well, because I know that we're talking about leadership, but yeah. uh, what is absolutely amazing, I think, about the transformation of the uh, English cricket team is you've basically got pretty much the same players as we had, you know, under the previous, um, okay, brilliant leadership of Root. I mean, he, he's he been yeah. an extraordinary cricketer. But you've got the same players, but coming in with a completely different mindset and uh, playing a very entertaining, um, aggressive um, kind of uh, sport. And... And it's hearing some of the old timers who've been around, you know, for many years, it's sort of almost rejuvenated by this new approach. People like Anderson and Broad, who've been yeah. in our team for many years, about to retire, saying, you know, I'm playing some of the best cricket of my life. Yeah. So I think I, th- I think this whole um, sort of connection with, you know, to leadership is something which is, you know, I find it quite interesting you know, how you can transform performance through changing mindsets and so on. Oh, absolutely. And look, we will get into the topic of today's conversation. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Mindset. But as you were talking about that and, and and thinking, I was listening to Stuart Broad was on a recent podcast, which was recorded, I think, just leading into the Ashes. So I was leading into the first test and he gave yeah. a bit of an insight as a pretty um experienced let's just say veteran who's coming to the end of his career i think he's 35 or 36 and to your point he was talking about how brendan mccullum has turned the culture around you know i drew when i was listening to it i'm I'm drawing parallels to a lot of the stuff we talk about with sales leaders and how they run sales teams that is they know what the outcome is they know what the goal is but they then remove themselves from any pressure of having to achieve the goal and they then instead focus on um the process or the game plan, or in yeah. his case, he used the words having fun. And he said mm. that the attitude that the English cricket team now has when they're playing test cricket is they're there first and foremost 
to entertain. So he said that if if a player comes out and hits two sixes in a row, gets bowled in the third ball, instead of them getting a rap over the knuckles, they're actually celebrated when they come back into the club room saying, did you see that size of that six? Did you see that crowd going absolutely Mm -hmm. nuts? Well done. And all of a sudden, the pressure now is off the players individually to Mm. have to get the right result and instead enjoy the process and be the best version of themselves Mm. through that process. And I thought there was just a phenomenal attitude. And I'm thinking, if only sometimes Australia would play like that, because you see Australian cricketers, and certainly when it comes to really difficult test matches, Mm. I think they put too much pressure on themselves and, and try to get things right rather than just play, not so much play loosely, but let go yeah. a little bit. And what will be, will be. And in most cases, um, the ball goes your way. Yeah, no, it's it's a 100%. It's a sort of fascinating, you know, it's, it's been fascinating to watch um, what happens. In your, and you're right, it's, it's about entertainment. But they're all competitive sportsmen. They all want to win. Mm. Um, but... Um, and to have fun and then yeah i mean there's so many connections we can make i think uh, on you know into the topic of of leadership but yeah no it's it's been wonderful to watch you know i reckon the um the probably the one of the biggest rating um sports events that have happened in recent years certainly in australia um, oh great was the was the five tests over yeah over the last couple of months so it was it was absolutely compelling watching uh the only problem is some of us uh, didn't get enough sleep because <laughs> we were staying up far too long. Because it, it finished. The, I mean, most most days, unless it was rained out, it finished at like three o'clock in the morning. So yeah, um, that's one of the disadvantages, of course, living in Australia because the time <laughs> difference is such a big big difference. So hey, this is this is I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Philip, because um, you are the co-founder and CEO of Consalia which is a sales business school focusing on sales education and transformation. You also have your own podcast, which uh, we may touch on. Um, but it's it's going to be a fascinating conversation because um, there's a lot of salespeople out there that probably, like a lot of cricketers, maybe the English cricketers and the, and the Australian cricketers mm-hmm. of times gone past, have so much pressure placed upon them to get the right results. So yeah. love to delve into all things um, sales and sales leadership and particularly things around mindset because I think that's one of the biggest things today around business performance and performance in general yeah. is what's happening between the years. Um, mm. But before we jump into some of those topics, i uh, love to know, and you were telling me a little bit just before we press record about the, I guess, the genesis of Consalia, um, but we'll lead mm. into that. But before we get to that, love to know a little bit of your background for the listeners' um, information. Where did where does where does Philip come from, um, and what led to Philip starting up uh, and co-founding such a yes. wonderful organization? It's, it's I I used to find it really difficult to answer the question where do I come from because I lived my first nineteen years in eight different countries, and so where I came from were, was where my parents happened to live. You know, right. at the time, so um uh yeah i was um kind of born in ascension island which is a tiny little island in the middle of the atlantic we then moved to malta we then moved to um the yemen uh we then moved to bahrain we then moved to sierra leone we then moved to trinidad so so really you know i just spent quite a lot of my 
uh, formative years actually living in different uh, countries. Um, I was educated at boarding school in the UK. So from the age of nine, you know, I was at uh, kind of boarding school uh, and would go back to visit my parents in different countries. Um, and I think what that kind of upbringing uh, sort of gives you is a certain sort of independent spirit, um, yet uh, academically working within a very rigid, as it was, public school, boarding school kind of system. And the first job that I had when I left school, I didn't go to university. I went uh, straight into the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation and um, hated the the sort of corporate structures of the bank, didn't last that long, and then moved into the insurance industry, which is where I started my first kind of sales role. And I was involved in B2C and B2B sales in that env environment for about four years and then left to join Mercury, which is uh, an international sales training organization. It was called Mercury Goldman at the time. Yeah. Uh, it's now Mercury Institute. And um, worked with them for about four years before then, at the age of probably 28, going into business on my own as a sales training uh, consultant, if you like, or consultancy, uh, working with a couple of colleagues who left Mercury at the same time. And we created this international uh, group um, with partners based in. 11 different countries around the world um, and the genesis of Consalia this is not Consalia Consalia was formed in 2006 and it was born out of the failure that we had to win a large deal and uh, it was down to the strength of our balance sheet um, and so we decided to form a joint venture with a couple of larger consulting firms that were part of this group. And this is when Consali was formed. So we now have an office in Singapore. I was there last week, uh, mm -hmm. as well as the headquarters, which are based here in in uh, in London, uh, southwest right. London. So that's a little bit, you know, just the a quick potted history of who I am. So I've been in sales all my life, really. Uh, you moving, moving from from so were you were you selling sales training programs and then move from there to set up a company from Mercury? So with a few yeah, few, I mean, few. I started. I mean, I was selling before I joined um, the, the consulting company. I was I was selling. I was you know a manager of salespeople. I built up a regional office in the insurance industry, which became quite large. Um, we had 70 or 80 people kind of uh, within the team and region that I was running, selling both to businesses as well as to consumers, um, which is where I learned how how not to probably sell. <laughs> it was a very it was uh, it was a pretty tough environment, to be honest. Um, but yes, when I joined the consulting firm, I was just sales and I was um, focusing on smaller businesses to begin with and then selling to larger corporates. And then I got involved in the delivery of sales training programs as well as account management. Yeah. And um, I think that role is persisted right through to this day. So I'm probably 
you know, the ambassador for Consalia, responsible for certain of its key accounts globally, um, and uh, but also involved in doing consulting assignments occasionally with clients and so on. Yeah. 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 I know one of the things that I'm um, just reading a little bit of background on you, you talk a lot about why sales training is is so short term, but sales education is more of a long term viable. Um, yeah. Yeah, really is. Uh, I mean, I fell into uh, the education area, um, a, a, you know, a bit by accident. So I was doing a research project for one of our clients and uh, they wanted us to go and interview their customers about how their customers wanted my client to sell to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, this um, was I was in my sort of early 40s when I was doing this research and uh, I met a professor at a university who said why don't you turn this research into a doctorate and I, I you know I mentioned earlier I never went to university and I'd always wanted to go to university actually but to do a sort of history of art degree or something completely non-business related <laughs> um, but uh, no I I I found it amazing that I could do a a doctorate um, in in my profession without you know I could do it whilst I was working and yeah. uh, and I really enjoyed the rigor of reflective practice that you get from doing a doctorate and I was really surprised as well at how my clients also responded because they were with me interested in the topic about how do customers want to be sold to by salespeople? And uh, and it it kind of, the, a few of my clients then said, well, could you set up a master's program for us, for some of our leaders? And, you know, you hear this term, it's too academic, it's too theoretical mentioned, you know, quite often, or we used to hear that. And actually, I it, seeing how some of these people responded to a formal, education in a topic that they loved and seeing how well they did in terms of completing you know master's level program made me think we've got to move into sales education as a business i'm so sorry <laughs> that's another just... client ringing you yeah i'm really sorry i thought i turned it off <laughs> um anyway um so yeah, this is uh, this happened, you know, uh, in two thousand and sort of nine, ten, I suppose it was, and uh, we had some big corporates like Sony, Wipro, uh, HP, um, working with us to put top talent through this master's program, and then in the UK about. Uh, five years ago uh, the government uh, set up an apprenticeship program where we were able to create undergraduate degrees bsc degrees and now msc level degrees it, um, for salespeople funded from an apprenticeship levy so we 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 have transformed our business from just being a sales consulting business into a sales education business and what is amazing about this journey is the um because it's work-based learning 
is the innovation and the research that you are seeing from our students now doing you know projects about you know how they can become better leaders or manage the business of selling in different ways so yeah our business is really transformed from what it was set out to be in, in, in as consalia in 2006 to where it is now as a business school it's um I think we're kind of unique in that respect globally that there's no other business school that only focuses on sales, which is which is how we're now sort of positioned ourselves. Which is so that which is which is phenomenal because when you think about um and you go to talk to most people about sales and what you think yeah. about sales, it's a it's a it's a gross generalization, but most people don't have great things to say about sales or salespeople. And I think you know what I'm. I'm not in sales. Never want to be in sales. I don't. I despise sales. They're all extroverted. Talk with a mouthful of marbles underwater. Cannot be trusted. Snake oil salesman. And any other adjective or verb you want to, or description you want to, you want to offer. It's fascinating though that every single person on the planet actually is in sales. Mm, absolutely. And the work yeah. that you've done, I'd love to know a little bit more about the research that you conducted as part of your doctorate. Yeah, because you mentioned getting customers to give you, I guess, feedback or key information about how they like to be sold to. Yeah. Because I will we'll delve into things like mindset and stuff like that. But in that in that research, was there anything for you at that time that was um unique or was it something you intuitively kind of knew, but it was just verified by some of your customers that you did some research with? I think that um i think it's it's a really good question because um you can start off your research project with a a hypothesis of what you think the answer is to a particular nutty problem that you're trying to solve and uh use your research to say whether you're right or wrong yeah yeah that wasn't the approach that i took um, I didn't go in with a hypothesis. I went in simply with a question, which is abbreviated to how do customers want to be sold to, without a hypothesis, but of course with bias, because you know you've been you've been taught, you've been through multitudes of different types of sales training programs over the years. And of course, the lens through which you look at the data is influenced by your, you know, your your experience and how you've been trained. And what I what I realized, uh, sort of halfway through the doctorate, was how my bias was stopping me from seeing what customers were really saying. And I feel rather ashamed to share that with you because you know we're taught to question, we're taught to listen and uh, and all of that and i thought i was a good listener and i thought i was a good questioner but actually um i i had uh, came I, I i did this workshop with a professor from london business school where i brought buyers and sellers together and we looked at the data that i'd i'd accumulated over a two year period of interviewing many 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 buyers um across the world in fact and we came up with this uh, flip chart page summarizing what were the key learnings and um, 
the key learnings were we need to be good at questioning, we need to be good at listening, we need to be good at this. And I thought there's absolutely nothing new here. And I, <laughs> I almost jacked I almost jacked it in. I was so and then I realized that I I uh, you know I had a, a lecturer at the university talking about research techniques and uh, this lady asked me uh, Phil what are your values and I remember listening to the question and I spilled off a few like you know that you know we often do is sort of integrity and family orientated and whatever um, and I realized I'd never seriously considered my values and she was making a connection between values and bias and uh, once I started that journey, I then realized what my bias was. And I re-looked at the data through a completely different lens. Wow. And interestingly, that lens took me into the area of values and the values that customers are looking for from salespeople. So not to do with competence or process or methodology, but values. And I borrowed some ideas from um, an academic called uh, Howard Gardner, who's he's quite well known around the emotional intelligence kind of field, um, linking values to mindsets. So if your values are strong enough and you live them, they become a mindset. And so this then drew me into defining the kind of, from the data that I got from the uh, customers, well, what were they what was the data telling me about the values and mindsets that they look for from salespeople? And I have to say that completely changed our entire approach to the way we have started to develop salespeople yeah. and uh, sales leaders as well um, around, um, I mean, it touches upon how do you, you know, well, the premise is simple. If the values are, are right it, it the right behaviors will follow so if i have a value that is based on curiosity if it's a real lived value what am i going to do i'm going to question and i'm going to listen yeah? yeah yeah so um yeah so um so these values were if you like the operating system that were well defined on and and, and on top of the values that you have you have like um apps that sit you know, the application sits on an operating system. Um, but the premise that, that we had was, uh, yeah, if we embed the right values, then the apps, the way people deploy their behaviors, competencies, learning is going to drive the right kind of behavior. And we had control groups going on with different clients where we took people through um, projects where we we taught them what the values were and we got them to express them in the way they sold and compared them with those that didn't. And uh, th that uh, that proved the ROI of going down this particular route to us. And then, you know, the kind of the rest is history really since then. So that's that's a little bit the journey that I, I took. Well, wow, it's fascinating because as you're talking, you're talking about you're thinking you're a great questioner and a great listener. And I often ask this of, of sales teams and certainly sales leaders, who who here believes they're a great listener? And it's amazing how many people put their hands up. And then the follow-up question to that is, well, how do you know? And sometimes it's just a biased response to say, well, I'm a good listener because I can repeat back what the customer said. But what you were talking about there is, I guess, a skill set or a competency around 
questioning and listening, but then going deeper and saying, what's the underlying value that will bring out that, that behavior more naturally, um, yeah. which is a completely different thing because people can be taught how to have a sales conversation. It's another thing entirely to do it intuitively because of what your value system says is the right thing to do. That's right. And so there, there's so many things we could talk about what you've just kind of shared because you've got, you know, the a, a sort of common criticism that's made of traditional, if you like, sales training is, you know, you come in, you sheep dip a group of people on how to sell in a particular <laughs> methodology in a way. And how much of that do they use, you know, even three months after the training? And we've that's got it. all the stats. We've got all the stats that tell us that really doesn't work. Yet it's surprising how many companies still go down that route. Um so yeah you need to go deeper and 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 so yeah you're absolutely i mean we we felt that if you can get people's mindsets and value systems belief systems truly embedded around around the mindsets that that we found to be the ones that customers wanted then you don't need to worry so much about the competence and the techniques and the methods you know let let the individuals figure it out because yeah. yeah they'll bring their own personality into it it's a much more authentic way of actually engaging and building a competence mm. if you start with the uh, the right values and mindsets so yeah. that's that's kind of where we got to but it it touches upon once a once a value and mindset is embedded it's sustainable it's not like a technique yeah um, you know, people ask us sometimes, can you change people's values and mindsets? And of course, you're not born with a value or a mindset. You you develop them as you, you know, through family, through work experience, you build them over over years. So of course you can change values and mindsets. Mm. You can't maybe change personality. That's a that's a sort of different kind of topic, but values and mindsets you can. And uh, just one last thing, because I, of course you're touching on a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, but it's um, culturally it works as well because the way in which you may develop relationships in Japan is mm. going to be very different to the way you develop relationships in America or Australia or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the 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 value system still can remain the foundation. So. So what we found is when we took these kind of ideas around the world is that it was easily adopted by people from different cultures. It wasn't just another Western approach to doing stuff. You can yeah. apply it quite easily across cultures. So it became, yeah, easy for us to translate that to our international clients around the world. So this is, I mean, this is fascinating, and I, I, we could probably talk about this for for days because right. I've, I've I've come from business to business environments where the company looks external to themselves to a external provider, whether it be Miller Hyman spin selling, whatever the case might be, and they think, well, that's the that's the answer to our problems. We need a new selling methodology, and if I'm brutally honest. At no stage in my selling career, and certainly my sales leadership career, has any training from a professional selling perspective delved into 
values, beliefs, biases, mindset. They might have touched on mindset and they said, oh, well, you need to have a positive mindset and et cetera, et cetera. But it's all geared around the methodology, almost believing that the methodology is the elixir that will deliver the outcome. Yeah, that's and completely wrong. Yeah, and I intuitively knew that was incorrect because then I would watch how every 18 months or so the organization would bring in a new methodology thinking that's going to be the be-all and end-all that's going to revolutionize the way we sell. And it wasn't. They weren't dealing with the fundamental challenge, and that is getting inside people's heads and understanding Mm -hmm. what makes them tick and why they do what they do. So I'm so, I mean, this is is an awesome conversation. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. we're talking about this because this is, this this is the game, I believe, the, the values and the mindset. Do you know what, uh, to to support, again, what you've just said, it's quite interesting. So we, we quite often host, uh, well, you know, we, we host sort of fairly major events. And, um, and one of the questions I remember asking at one of these events, and we had a room full of sales leaders, you know, uh, there, um, is what would you what would you rather would you rather people have you know the right skills and competencies but the wrong mindset or would you rather people have the right mindset but not necessarily the right skills and competencies and you know you know what the answer is to that you know they all say we'd like the right mindset yeah because you can do amazing things you know like we can see with the english cricket team that's right <laughs> we can see amazing things if you've got people with the right mindset, they, of course they need to have the skills and competencies. Not to say that 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 isn't important. They need to understand the techniques and so on. But to playing cricket, but mindset is really the most important. But when you start to um, try to codify, what do we mean by that? You're quite right. Normally they they mean tenacity or mm. or or resilience and. Uh, uh, or whatever, and those are attributes that are important in sales, of course. Uh, but that's not how we've defined, you know, the mindsets. We haven't defined them in those words. We've defined them through the words that customers have defined as being important. Of course, a selling team will want you to become, you know, tenacious and resilient because you've got targets to reach. That's it. But you ask it. If you ask a customer what values and mindsets do they expect from salespeople, they will not say resilient or tenacious. <laughs> they will say other things. Yeah. They will. They so, will. so, so that's what's been quite interesting. This um, sort of customer-led research process, um, rather than a sales-centric. Uh, um, sort of led sales process approach which of those two are going to win at the end of the day for me the answer has always been with a customer you know working backwards yeah rather than you working forwards if you know what i mean well at the end of the day when you think about it the customer is the one that controls the dollars right they're they're the ones that are ultimately going to they're the ones decision. they've got the money so it doesn't it make now the other thing to to say is that when you go into the academic world you get access to academics doing research on sales. Not that many. Yeah. You know, to give you, a, there are two academic journals that are focused purely on sales. There are 150 academic journals on marketing. So yeah. sales as a research topic compared to other disciplines 
is tiny. Yeah. Uh, and we could talk about the reasons for that. But of the work done by sales academics, what I found when I was doing my research, um, again, reading all these papers, um, is that they based their hypothesis of sales on interviews that they've done with salespeople about what they felt to be right or wrong. And I found that staggering that they <laughs> have, are spending years doing research often on hypotheses created by, you know, I'm a great sales guy and this is what I've <laughs> done to be successful rather than going to the customer and working your way forward. So I, I became quite angry about what I found as I was doing my research. I felt it's, it's under-researched. It's not the right research. It's not the right way to go about it. And um, this kind of made me eventually commit the my career to sales education yeah. because I think there's a huge difference between education, sales education, sales training. Uh, so this is, yeah. Hundred percent. Now I'm going to ask you about values from a customer's perspective in a minute. But yeah. there was another question as you're just talking that came up because um, one of the things that I was always really conscious of is we we put our sales teams through all this great training and go and go and do this and prospect and overcome objections and handle you know all these difficult things. How much of the training of the sorry? How much of the sales education? can be not just applied to sales teams and organizations selling products and services and solutions, but also to the customer side. So how much of the education is to the buyers? Because a lot of customers, a lot of, sorry, a lot of sales organizations will talk about, we are very customer centric. We are here to provide service to a customer. We place the customer in the center of everything we do. And yet when you listen to most sales leaders and also sales people speak, they talk from the perspective of their product and their service. They very rarely mm. talk from the perspective of the customer. So how how important is it to have customers involved in the education? Now, that might sound like a, a weird question, but no, it's, it's not a weird. Sort of... No, no, it's not a weird question. So and of course, any any student, any leader or, you know, or key account director coming through our master's program will be introduced um, to this notion of research. And um, they would have done the Miller-Hyman. They would have done, you know, they would have had a history of doing a lot of stuff in terms of sales development. And uh, many of them will go to their customers as a consequence of collecting evidence and data and research and involving their customers in the um, research project that they've they've defined, uh, which is amazing, uh, and it's it's collaborative. And what the feedback that we're getting from our students who engage with the customers is simply telling your customer that you are doing this leading sales transformation masters program. Would you mind if I just shared a bit my research projects with you? Is that the customers become totally interested mm. in what it is they're trying to achieve and do and then and 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 really you know sort of collaborating with them because it's in their interest 
it's in the, the customer's interest if a supplier is engaging with them in a more strategic, uh, innovative, creative kind of way. Yeah. Um, so no customers will ever turn down a request of a sales leader being invited to take part in a research project or the outputs of a, of a, of a paper they've written. Mm. And in some cases, um, they will actually be part of the final project as well. You know, they, they would have contributed data and information into it and mm. cited in, in the final you know, paper. So yeah, you're merging the gap between sort of selling and buying by, by co-creating together kind of new insights into how to get better engagement, you know, across key accounts yeah. or between the sales team and, uh, you know, their, their, their buyers. So. And when you think about it from a, certainly from a business to business perspective, that would create, I would think a much higher level of credibility and authenticity yeah, it is. In the eyes yeah. of the customer, when you've got a seller that is truly interested in their business and trying to find out how do we best, how do we how do we best sell to you? Well, how do we how do we do this in a way that's not just a, I'm going to flog you a product, but we can do this in a in a business to business sort of a like a trusted partnership type of arrangement. You know, we always talk about how do we differentiate ourselves against our competitors. That is one of the best ways to do that because you become entrenched. Yeah. And and the other thing that I think is is really interesting because we've we've heard about NPS scores and net promoter scores and so on as a measure of service delivery, but rarely do companies do a survey on how the the sellers sell to them in a way that they want to. Yeah, you know, yet yet without that, you don't have a service to deliver. Mm. Um, so. Um, this idea of getting client feedback on how do you want us to sell to you, that simple question is a great question to ask in any kind of qualification process. How do you want us to engage with you? How do you want us to sell to you or whatever way you want to phrase it yeah. is, a, is, a, is a really good way of doing it, um, of starting a conversation. Mm. And how would you rank us in terms of innovation and insight? You know, how are we doing? Every salesperson should want to know the answer to that question. In my view, how do you want us to sell to you? How do you want? It's such a simple question. It is, but it's amazing how many how many salespeople and how many sales leaders are actually afraid to ask. But they may be frightened, but it doesn't really matter what the answer is. No. Only good will come of it because uh, you know, keep on doing what you're doing. Actually. Yeah. I hate this. I I hate what you're doing in this. I mean, it's really good feedback, and uh, you shouldn't be frightened of it. I can only see good things coming from it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it begs a question. I know there'll be sales leaders listening to this, and maybe some salespeople thinking, "Well, so what is it that customers actually value?" So when you if you if you put yourself in the shoes of a customer, based on your research, were there were there a, a like a, a consistent theme that came out in terms of the values, because I'd like to talk about mindset as a separate thing, but from the values and how they like to be sold to, was there like a common theme that stood out in your research? Um, well, I'd like to, I mean, I deliberately um, kind of combined the word mindsets with 
values because um so i'd like to keep those two words kind of connected but yeah there were four values that uh you know you go through five years of research and you come up with four things (laughs) that that you think can make a difference and and some of these are kind of no-brainers um and we uh so we've got four what we call positive mindsets and we've got four negative mindsets so of the people that I interviewed, less than 10% of salespeople demonstrated the values that customers wanted. And less that than was 10%. less than 10% of wow. people demonstrated the positive uh, differentiating values. So um, going through the positive values, they were authenticity, yeah, being authentic. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. It's very you know, it's such a simple word, yet behind that word authenticity, because we could have chosen integrity or transparency, but we chose authenticity because you've got this notion of being original, like the the authentic Levi jeans. This was the first. We need to know it's you, the person we're dealing with, not someone who's been through some mechanistic sales training, which we can spot a mile away. (laughs) Yeah. So any kind of you know, uh, dare I say it, spin selling approach where you kind of got, got quite manipulative questions if they're give, handled in the wrong way, you know, sort of leading people through a structure. You know, buyers have been on spin sales training programs themselves. They know the yep. game. You know, they know they can spot it a mile away. So you, you've got authenticity as being number one. The second one is client centricity, which is, a again, it's a no brainer. And without these two, you don't build trust. Yeah. Um, and uh the the second two after the uh the first two, if you like, um, are the ones that are fun and rarest. And that's proactive creativity. So a lot of salespeople are quite creative, but it's the customer who tends to say, Look, I got this problem, can you help solve it? And the salesperson is able to creatively solve it, you know, with their team. But proactive creativity is where someone comes up with an idea that the customer hasn't necessarily thought of and that they really value. Yeah. And then the final one is is tactful audacity. And you've got tact, which is being respectful. It's having tact. And audacity is having courage and being bold. It's the art of knowing how far to go without going too far. Yeah. And you may think this is a rather surprising value or mindset, but actually customers love to be channel uh, challenged in the right way. Um, and, um, you, you know, they really respect a salesperson who's ticked the first two boxes. They trust you. They know that you're totally client centric. But where the seller is challenging the customer about an idea that the customer has or mm. or even if they or challenging the customer into doing something new that the customer hasn't thought of because the salesperson is a hundred percent convinced because of all this data because of their research that this is the right thing for them so um these are the mindsets that we've found if you like, value systems deeply rooted in the psyche of how salespeople work 
that we know from the different control groups that we had will drive exceptional account relationships without a without a question right and um and very few people demonstrate all of these mindsets yeah and we can talk about why that is the case but you know it's not possible sometimes with the way so if you're a sales leader and you're looking at account portfolios it's sometimes impossible for salespeople to live these mindsets with every single account because they've got too many yeah so your whole territory management approach your whole uh kind of sales approach account management approach is going to influence the level at which you can live these mindsets because yeah. it, it takes time to do uh to live these mindsets with each client all the time whether there's a sales opportunity or not, you know, it's something that to how you manage all of those, those kind of levers to get the right approaches is, is, uh, uh both an art and a science, I yeah. would say. Amazing. I, um, I really like those. And as you were talking through those, um, they definitely resonated. I may have used the tactful audacity, but when you're talking about the fact that respect and courage, the challenge and and my own experience working with a lot of sales teams and sales leaders and, and certainly customers is um, customers like to be challenged because they they want to know that that you know they're not, they're not going to be the the person that that dictates how everything's going to work. They want somebody who can tell them you know what I don't believe that is the right way to go and this is why and be prepared to have that conversation, which is uh, which is fantastic. Um, you also mentioned four, was it four negative mindsets yeah. and, and values as well that I guess this is the the red flag that we should try to avoid or stay away from? Yeah, so um, so the first one was manipulation. And so this is any sense of being manipulated into something. And the clients have got, um, you know, they know, they know, when there's a pressure on a salesperson to reach uh, a certain target, you know, they know that the salesperson is being incentivized to push one product above another in the way that the salesperson will ask questions and not listen necessarily to the answers you're giving, but wanting to try and push people through a sales funnel, you know, approach. Um, so manipulation, uh, was, was one. It, uh, the second was supplier centricity, you know, yeah. which um, I guess is connected a bit to manipulation. Um, but this is just where the salesperson is is um, is very much focused on their own product and services. But also, I think uh, with large accounts, large companies, you know, they sometimes become arrogant. You know, they think, well, everyone buys our product because we're the biggest and the best yeah. or whatever. But, you know, that. Um, so you've got supplier centricity. Then you've got complacency. Yeah. And this is where you've got a long established relationship and you're kind of an assumption that you're getting going to get repeat business and uh, customers hate it when people are complacent. Um, and then the final one is, is we call it overt arrogance. You know, it's, it's where, you know, salespeople demonstrate in their body language, in the words that they use, uh, sort of arrogance. You know? <laughs> um, and 
there's a fine line between being tapfully audacious and arrogant, you know, that, and there's a lot of subtlety between, of course, you're in business to sell your products at the end of the day, but you're also there to serve the client. Yeah. So there's a lot of subtlety in, in whether you're seen to be moving to the negative, to the positive. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, those were the four negative mindsets that we saw. Wow. Um, I'm just thinking about some of the clients I'm working with at the moment. And one in particular that comes to mind, one of their challenges is, well, challenges slash opportunities is one of their major competitors are totally complacent in their marketplace, right. which is creating a fantastic opportunity for them. Yeah. The only problem that they've got right now is they've got such a small share of wallet. So they've got to try and build a level of credibility that their customers are thinking that they're a legitimate competitor in the marketplace because yeah. it's easier to do business with the other complacent organization because nobody's ever been sacked by doing business with those yeah. organizations so i can see how it can be a very fine line in in some cases yeah it can be but um i think that you know i, I remember in fact there's a, a client we were working with in australia uh they they were in the software testing field and sell, trying to get into nab bank mm -hmm. Uh, as a as a customer, and I think uh, IBM had a uh, uh, a managed services contract with them that made it very difficult for this new 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 customer to get in. And uh, NAB Bank had uh, done this uh, amazing campaign that became viral, which is around the breakup. I d I, I don't know if you saw that breakup campaign. Uh, so you had this breakup campaign that happened about the time that that we were working with this uh, team to try and get into the bank. And, and uh, it was amazing to watch them use these mindsets to, um, to create a breakup campaign uh, with, uh, to enable them to get into this major account. Nice. Uh, uh, and it was, uh, you know, they produced videos, they produced, uh, all sorts of things that, that that they did their own you know they interviewed some of the bank's customers in fact as part of uh, this uh, client-centric work and they weaved that into their value proposition they won the contract for the software testing so amazing it is it is really difficult you know sometimes you know it's difficult to break in but the your client is going to work much harder at the innovation, aren't they? Because they've got everything to gain. And, and, and so, yeah, that's a big opportunity for them. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And there's an opportunity that um, they need to be able to grasp because when you've got an incumbent who is complacent, um, yeah. they're going to make mistakes. And they will. Yeah. if we can then focus on like the, in, in this case, the four positive uh, mindsets and positive values yeah. and demonstrate that that customer centricity client centricity authenticity proactive creativity because i always talk about you've got to try and bring insights to the table you've got to try and bring yeah. something to the table that they didn't know it could be about the industry it could be an insight you brought about about their business that says to them hmm we may not necessarily have a sale today but we're planting seeds for a sale tomorrow or next week and I'm not necessarily having to put pressure on myself to get a deal today, yeah. but I'm going to make progress. And if I do that in an authentic way, 
um, eventually it's going to come. Now, will, easy to say, yeah. difficult to do, particularly when you've got a target <laughs> to hit. <laughs> yeah, it is difficult. And then it comes down to sort of pipeline and having enough opportunities in the funnel that you, you know, that some will come good and some won't. But um, yeah. when you don't have enough pipeline, that it puts more pressure on the yeah. sales process. And that's when you can get some of the negative mindset kind of behavior. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, it's a it's a systems approach to sales performance improvement that will help drive, you know, systems meaning the way you target, you know, create leads, you know, creating enough space for salespeople mm. to live these uh, mindsets is part of, I think, the job of, you know, the coaching of a manager, you know, in yeah. terms of actually sort of enabling the, the sales team to, um, you know, to to yeah to implement some yeah. of the things we've been talking about absolutely now as you're just talking there another question came to mind and i'm thinking okay this is all and there might be sales leaders sitting there right now listening to this and thinking, well that's all well and good we've got sales targets. we've got sales targets it. and darren and philip you don't understand my predicament i've got some very experienced sales people who are very very stuck in their ways so yeah. the question that i came up with when as you were talking there was um We've based on your research, we know what the negative and the positive values and mindsets are. What are some of based on your experience and the work that you're doing now? What are some of the challenges that sales leaders will face and are facing? Um, because I, I'm I'm thinking that this is more of an evolutionary process to try and instill these values and these mindsets into mm. a sales team versus a revolutionary. So we're not going to flick a switch and say, right, today I'm going to be authentic and I'm going to be yeah. client centric, right? Um, yeah. what are some of the challenges that you're finding um, working with some of the big organizations that you are in relation to these, these values and mindsets? Yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so many, you know, sometimes when an organization is so big, it's a bit like trying to change an all tankers direction and, you know, the systems and processes don't allow salespeople necessarily, you know, the, the, uh, the environment to be able to do it. But what I found, and it, I may not have all the answers to this at all, but um, is the, is is I always go back to the customer because uh, I've experienced exactly Darren the same as you. Is how do you get um, you know very experienced salespeople, perhaps with a fixed mindset, not a growth mindset, to actually be open to the idea of change or transition in their approach? Mm. The, there's nothing stronger than the customers talking about what they like and dislike. And so in many of the engagements we have with our clients is we start with their customer and work back. So we take the framework of the interviews that, that started with the doctorate into their world and get their customers talking about and we, we link it. You know, this is how we do it. And it's very difficult to sit in a room with a mm. customer who's saying, we hate it when people are arrogant, or we, or, you know, or you are being too complacent, or I hate it, you know, it's very difficult for them. And this is what I want to say, actually, that's a load of rubbish, because no one, no one will argue with a the customer, they may argue with a consultant about a theory yeah. or a practice, but you won't actually argue with a customer. So um, I would, um, I, you know, if there's a cultural challenge, it's, 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 it's difficult to change a culture of a sales team uh, 
um, because cult yeah culture takes time but the starting point for us all the time is go to the customer the customer in our case or start there work your way back create a sales approach based on on the customer's customer then you'll start to find the clues to unlocking the yeah. uh, mindset change that you need i'm sure love we're it. running over time here love it oh we've nearly <laughs> we're nearly done an hour my friend but that's okay it feels like five minutes and i said we can talk for days on this one thing i would like to ask you as we kind of bring this to a close is uh the mindset survey um, yes. And, and what, what is the mindset survey? Cause I'm also intrigued how we can get people in contact with you and learning more about, um, well, that's, that's, and, and, and particularly the mindset survey. So can you give us a little bit of information about that? We, yeah, we have on our website and, um, a free survey that, um, anyone can undertake where they will be able to profile themselves against the positive and negative mindsets and there's also a limited opportunity for them to invite their customers to give feedback on them as well okay um and that's completely free and it's on the you know www.consalia.com website forward slash survey i think it is i'm looking at eddie um and uh if organizations wanted a sort of more detailed data from the mind, you know, split by teams, regions, or whatever, then that would be a, a paid for service that we can provide. Sure. Um, we've also got a lot of the sort of ideology and the rationale behind the mindsets in the book Selling Transformed, uh, which was launched a couple of years ago. Um, if people are in any way interested in the topic, they could maybe pick up a copy of the book. It's, you know, it's on Amazon and and uh, all sorts of different outlets as well but um those nice. those those two sources might might be of interest well i think from a from certainly from a sales leader's point of view always looking at how do we get more out of our sales team how can we extract yeah. more potential out of our sales team and i'm a firm believer that that mindset just like in elite sports my the difference that makes all yeah. the difference is the six inches between our ears Correct. And as sales leaders, we owe it to our company, we owe it to our people, but mostly we owe it to our customers to make sure that we have people in the right mindset that are focused on yeah. the right areas, delivering the right level of value, because that's ultimately what's going to deliver sustainable success. So um, I will I will put in the notes uh, links to your uh, website, and I'll actually look up, make sure I've got the right the right one. I'll, I'll talk to Eddie if not. <laughs> Uh, backslash survey. Um, so that survey will enable us to do a bit of a survey against the positive and negative. Um, yeah. Yeah. You'll get values. a kind of bullseye. You'd be able to see where you are in correlation to what we call the winner's circle. Um, and it will give you some insights into the profile you've created in terms of areas that you might want to look at, you know, to improve your mindset. Uh, or you know sort of ideas to to be more proactively creative or tap for the audacious so uh so yeah it it certainly is uh, not a bad starting point i would say to to kind of reflect upon you know where's the mindset today and how do you want to develop it moving forward brilliant for me the customer perspective 
is the most interesting is when you get customers actually answering the same questions as you've done on yourself. Uh, and that in itself can be a very interesting point of discussion with a customer about, about the difference. Well, I saw myself as being not very creative with you, but you see myself as highly creative. So uh, that, that, that could be a conversation as well as the other way around you know, where I thought I was creative, but you think I'm not. So yeah. it doesn't really matter what the result is. You can really use it in an engaging way to have conversations about how you can improve your general approach to the account. So, yeah. Definitely, definitely. You know what, Philip, I was going to ask you just before we wrap, is there any last pearls of wisdom that you want to leave with uh, with the sales leaders? Now, if, if there is, fantastic, but what I think you just shared there was was absolutely gold because if you can get your customers to give you some feedback, that can, it's it's almost a litmus test as to where we're actually sitting in relation yeah. to our relationships. I think the challenge we have with leaders is that is how do you coach to the mindsets? You know, how would you? Um, you know, a, a lot of lead, you know, so the, the challenge is if you take salespeople through this sort of mindset approach and a leader doesn't understand it or believe in it, it's not going to go anywhere at all. So the role that leaders play in sort of creating a culture of um, sort of the, having the right mindsets is, is critical. And the one, I suppose the one question that a leader could ask is given the, targets that i've got to achieve this year what what's the challenge that i'm facing do i need to make my current sales team more efficient in what they do meaning that they're doing the right things we just need to do it more effectively or efficiently or do i need to transform what my sales people are doing in order to address the challenges that we have in our market today Unless you answer that question, it, the, the answer to that question will drive very different strategies as a sales leader. So Absolutely. am I trying to create a faster caterpillar or am I trying to create a butterfly? You know, what, and sometimes it could be the faster caterpillar, in which mm. case your challenge may not be so mindset related because you, you're just trying to be more efficient. Whereas if it's transformation, shifting mindsets, creating a new culture, I think it's... Uh, a different approach. I think what you just touched on there, Philip, might be um, a bridge to maybe a follow-up podcast. <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> we could talk about that. We could talk about hours. that. Yeah, we could. No, well, that's what the great thing about sales is it's wonderfully complex when you start to peel away the layers of the onion. Oh, and, and it's and, just, and it's phenomenal. Absolutely it's, love it's it. That's why it's such a great profession to be in. Yeah, it is. It is. Hey, look, um, we are we are about an hour in, so I'm gonna. I think Darren. we're gonna leave it there. I think. Um, Thank you, Darren. Hey, it's been a phenomenal conversation. Greatly appreciate you coming on. You've added huge amounts of value, and and I've taken a lot of notes here, and certainly going to use that in in my coaching and and when I'm talking to sales leaders in particular, particularly around the positive um, values and mindset. So. Dr. Philip Squire, thank you so much for being That's a guest a on the podcast. And I reckon um, we need to have a part two where we can delve into that, that last topic. It will be a great pleasure.
um, Darren. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, let me know how you get on, you know, with the mindsets. Just I'd be so intrigued to know how it works with you and your clients and, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to, as of tomorrow, I'm going to do the survey myself just to figure out where I'm at. <laughs> Thanks, Philip. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Darren. Good Cheerio. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.